I'm looking at a picture today of a woman whose appearance is a paradox. On the one hand, the woman is wearing a cross necklace around her neck, the sign of those who follow Jesus. Yet, when you look at the picture in her hand, there is a crystal ball. That's, that's right, not a Bible, a ball, one that psychics use to forecast the future. Now, the name of the woman is Jean Dixon. Some of you who are listening will remember that name. Uh, I actually grew up with it. In fact, every Sunday there was this little spot reserved in the San Antonio paper that would feature Jean's predictions for the year at hand. Born in 1904, Jean claimed to have received this crystal ball from a gypsy while living in California. The gypsy, she says, told her that she was born to be a seer, a foreteller of the future. And to this work, she put her hand. In 1956, she gained attention when she predicted that a Democrat would win the 1960 presidential election, only to be assassinated. When John F. Kennedy won the presidency, few remember Dixon's prediction. But when he was assassinated three years later, her stock rose immeasurably. Her books, she wrote seven of them, were widely read, as was her weekly column in the Parade Magazine, which is where I became familiar with her. Jean served as a counselor to Ronald Reagan's wife, Nancy, and was often sought by families who had missing family members. She purported to be able to connect with these and offered her discernment on whether they were alive or not. In her final book, it's entitled The Call to Glory. Dixon issued one last prediction that still stands today. It's kind of interesting. She predicted that Armageddon would begin with a conflict between, are you ready for this, Russia and China. The conflict, she suggested, would be won by China, and the date for the conflict was given as somewhere between 2025 and 2035. You know, when you look back at the corpus of prophecies issued by Jean Dixon, there, there are hits. She got a few things right, as well as misses. At the end, she represents a question. If you could know the future, would you want to? Today on God Says Living, I want to reconnect with chapter 10 of the narrative that makes up the biblical book of Daniel. And as we do, I want to take us to that place in Daniel's life where we watch him respond to the vision of the future that God has shown him, not as a matter of psychic activity, but through prophecy. And yes, there's a huge difference between the two. What I want us to see is the fact that God is entrusting something heavy to Daniel. Where we meet him today is not at an easy place. This is not an easy moment in his life. In fact, what I believe that Daniel helps us grapple with at this juncture in his story is what it means as followers of Jesus to carry what I like to refer to as heavy to bear callings. Those moments in our lives when God entrusts to us a calling that really weighs us down, a calling that we might not want, but that we receive anyway, recognizing that we do not have the strength or the resources to carry out the very thing that God has placed into our hands. So as we jump into our text today, allow me to form a question. The question is, what is the weight of the calling that God has placed into your hands today? And how are we to carry forward those things that are really beyond our capacity to bear? 
So as we look at this topic, I want to tell you there's a couple of books that I found challenging with regard to what it means to bear the weight of something heavy in our lives. The first is a book that was written by Yuval Harari titled Homo Deus. Literally translated, the title means Man as God. Over the last year, if you've listened to this podcast, you've, you've heard me refer to Harari as an author with whom I personally struggle. So on the one hand, I remain aware of the fact that he is a best-selling author, and for a reason. His work resonates with the thinking found in our mainstream culture. Harari has a knack for taking the complexities of our time and translating them in such a way as to allow readers to access what's happening in the scientific field that will have impact on the future of mankind. On the other hand, it's precisely because Harari's thinking is mainstream that I personally wrestle with it. Without fail, his books cause me to wonder whether modern day scientific and technological advances are simply the fulfillment of what Mary Shelley had in mind when she penned the novel Frankenstein. It remains undebatable that the advances of our age have outpaced the ability of our legal and judiciary system to keep up with them. But what about the court overseen by God himself? Maybe the title of Harari's latest book says it all. Homo Deus. We've reached a stage in history where mankind truly does want to exist as its own God. This is certainly true when it comes to an area of genetics called PGA or predictive genetics analysis. In layman's terms, I, I believe that most of us have heard about PGA in one form or another. What we all know is how useful genetics are for predicting the probability of our acquiring a particular health condition. We all know, for example, that if my parents had a certain type of cancer, my probability as their offspring for acquiring that same type of cancer increases beyond the norm. The fact of the matter is we all benefit from a multitude of scientific tests that allow us to become aware of medical risks that we incur simply on the basis of genetics. What few of us can imagine, however, is just how far genetics has come in its predictive capabilities. What Harari reveals in his book is the fact that we will quickly reach a point in science where we're able to perform genetic tests on asymptomatic humans that not only provide an array of predictive medical scenarios, but that also, by sourcing artificial intelligence, provide medical practitioners with corrections to predicted conditions that can be preemptively performed through gene sequencing at the level of our DNA. I want to put that in simple terms. What Harari is describing in Homo Deus is the ability of a medical practitioner to reconfigure a person's DNA to repair a medical condition that has not yet occurred, but of which there is a high probability in the future. All of for which I have just one thought. Frankenstein lives. After reading Harari's book, I found myself asking a simple question. Here it is. Would you want to know? Think about this with me. If you walked into a doctor's office right now and your doctor performed several genetic tests on your body or your mind and came back to you and said, I want to tell you right now about several diseases that you do not yet have but soon will. Would you want to know? Don't answer that question too quickly. What if your doctor could come back to you and say, for example, that within the next several years, you would develop a rare form of lung cancer that would onset slowly but increase over time to place 
you to a position where literally it would strangle the oxygen out of your system, painfully killing you. Would you want to know that today? What if your doctor came to you and said, are you feeling good? Healthy? You look healthy. Your blood tests are in range. Your BMI is at a perfect place, but there's one problem. Through genetic testing, we have determined that you will soon have ALS, Luke Gehrig's disease. What if the doctor were able to tell you that this disease would slowly rob you of your body's ability, shutting down your muscular system until you were bound to life support while your loved ones tried to care for you? Would you want to know that now? I guess what I'm asking is the question, are there some things that are just too heavy to bear? Are there, are there things we would rather not bear until we have to? Believing that in their time, God will give us the strength to endure. Because this is where I believe we meet Daniel in chapter 10 of his narrative today. I want you to follow this with me. Over the last three weeks, we've walked with Daniel into one of the most riveting moments of his life. We find ourselves a bit beyond 539 BC. Persia's overcome Babylon and the Persian king Darius or Cyrus, they're one and the same, has given orders for Israel to return to Jerusalem where they can begin to rebuild both their city and their temple. But to Daniel's dismay, Israel is not returned, preferring instead to remain as slaves in new Persia. Depressed, and I'm not sure there's a better word for it, Daniel finds himself wondering why. Why have not the leaders of Israel risen up? After all, Daniel has, for his entire lifetime, dreamed of this moment. He's prayed for it. He's asked God for it 10,000 times, 10,000 times. And now God has provided it. Daniel thinks, I'm a blessed man. That before I die, I actually am able to see the fulfillment of my prayers. And yet his prayers are not being fulfilled. Not because God did not act. He did. But because the people of Israel have not. Why not? What's holding them back? In answer to this question, Jesus appears to Daniel, and when he appears, he is wearing full military garb. You know why? Because he, Jesus, is engaged in a battle, a battle behind the curtain. Behind the curtain that separates our physical world from the spiritual world, a battle that has been taking place between Jesus and angels from hell, fallen angels, demons. So put this together. Jesus is answering Daniel's question. Daniel, Daniel, let me show you what's happening. You want, you want to know what's holding Israel back? Do you want to know why free men remain in slavery? Here, here's the answer. Spiritual warfare. There are demons at work. Demons that have convinced Israel that it would be better to remain in slavery than to risk going home. Now, last week we concluded Jesus' revelation to Daniel in this battle. This battle behind the curtain. This battle literally between heaven and hell. As we pick up today, the question becomes, what, what is Daniel's response? If I could ask the question differently, what, what does Daniel do with everything that Jesus is showing him? I mean, this is not like stuff that Jesus is placing into Daniel's hands. Jesus has taken Daniel to a place, again, behind the curtain, where few men will ever go. I think about John and the Revelation said simply, what do you do when Jesus hands you something so heavy you can hardly bear it? I have to tell you as we turn to verse 15 of Daniel chapter 10, I've always appreciated the bluntness of the words scripture uses to describe Daniel in this moment. 
To some degree, he feels to me like the man who's just been handed a genetic test indicating the presence of a condition that he's unable to fully cope with or comprehend. I'm going to read just a couple of verses here from our text, and I want you to feel Daniel through these words. And Lord, we're just going to ask that you give us your insight and wisdom as we read this section of Daniel. All right, here's the text. Daniel chapter 10, beginning verse 15, quote, while he was saying this to me, Jesus is conveying this behind the curtain look at the battle between heaven and hell. While he was saying this to me, I bowed my face toward the ground and was speechless. You know what? Daniel cannot even muster words to describe the earthquake going on inside of his gut. Quote, I said to the one standing before me, I'm overcome with anguish because of this vision, my Lord. I feel very weak. My strength is gone and I can hardly breathe. I want you to just take those words in. Can you feel them? God has handed Daniel something heavy. He's taken Daniel behind the curtain. He's shown him in a very real way the spiritual battle that goes on over our souls as demons seek to destroy us. As very real demons seek to tear apart our marriages, our kids' lives, our grandkids' lives. And if I can simply say this, it's too much. Daniel didn't know what to do with it all. And maybe you don't either. You know, as I read this section of Daniel, I've come to believe that there are times when God comes to us with something heavy, something too heavy for us to bear. It may not be what Daniel experienced in this vision that takes him behind the curtain, but it's just as heavy to us. It might be a person that God entrusts to us, someone who needs our love, our help, our care, and we're not sure we're up to the task. We find ourselves thinking, the needs of this person are just too heavy for me. I don't know how to serve them. We actually argue with God. Lord, I can't do this. But God does not lift the burden from us. Instead, we know, deep down inside, we know he is calling me to this. He has placed this person in my life at this time for a reason. And yes, it's heavy. It might be a cause that God sets before us. We find ourselves thinking, this cause doesn't belong to me. It's too big anyway. It's too much. Someone else needs to get involved in this cause. I don't have the schooling for this. I don't have the experience for this. Still, he doesn't remove the burden from us. And we know it. Deep down inside, we know. He's asking me to get involved. He wants me to get involved in this cause. This cause that's much bigger than I am. It might be a calling that God entrusts to us, the call to a mission field or to bring hope into our own neighborhood, to engage the gospel in our city. Maybe it's a call into our own family. And we say to ourselves, somebody else needs to do this. I'm not trained for that. I don't have time for this. Yet he doesn't remove the calling. And we know it. Deep down inside of ourselves, we know. Nope, he's calling me. Might be a change that God's asking you to make in your own life. He's entrusting this change to you right now. But the change is scary. You're not sure you want to make it. It'd be easier to just let things be. Keep things the way they are. It's comfortable. But it does not remove the burden from you. Instead, you know. I mean, deep down inside, you know. He's asking me to change. You see, I've come to believe that this is who God is. He doesn't come to us with little things. 
He comes to us with the greatest, most difficult calling in the world. He's entrusted to us the call to join him in seeking out lost souls. And when we really think about this call, we become Daniel. We find ourselves speechless. We feel anguish to the core of our being. We can hardly breathe. And then something happens. I don't know if you ever noticed these words in Daniel chapter 10, but they're so important. I want you to listen to them. The scripture reads, verse 18, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Have you ever thought about this, that God will never call you to something that is greater than the strength or resources that he is able to provide? Never. As we close today, I want you to think about three questions with me. Question one, what is God calling you to today that's bigger than you are? It's bigger than your resources. Is it someone that God's calling you to? Has he placed a cause upon your heart? Maybe he has placed a calling upon you, or he's asking you to make a change that you really don't want to make. It seems too big. Question two, what narrative have you created to avoid God's call? And that's right, I use the word avoid. Here's why as a pastor, I've discovered something. We're pretty good at avoidance, we human beings. Even those of us who live in the house of God. One of our favorite tools for avoidance is self-talk, self-created narratives through which we talk ourselves out of or around the callings that God seeks to make a part of our lives. So I want to challenge you here. I want you to kind of go in your mind and ask yourself the question, what self-talk am I using right now? What am I telling myself to avoid what you know, you do know, God has called you to? Last question. When? When will you become still enough to allow God to work through you? He does want to work through you. And I think it's so significant that Daniel in this narrative is unable to receive the burden that God is giving him until he becomes still until he stops talking. Remember the words? I became silent. Until Daniel admits to God, God, I'm scared. I don't feel good. My very soul is disturbed. I'm in, I'm in anguish. Shh, God says. And he reaches out and he touches Daniel. And Daniel knew, this is too big for me, but not for him. In him, what does St. Paul say? Through him, I can do all things. And now Daniel is ready to bear the task to which God is calling him in this chapter of his life. Well, that's all for this week. I want you to know I appreciate you so much. I have to tell you that over the last several weeks, I've had a number of people talk to me about being a part of this podcast as a listener, and it has meant a great deal to me, especially on weeks when, when I want to say to God, God is too much. And God says, be still. I want you to know I'm going to be praying for you. I ask for your prayers. I, I need them. And until next week, have a God-sized week. <laughs>